great to be here back at the Advent. Uh, I am the product of many of your prayers, whether you know it or not. Thank you. I just keep thinking about being cherry salad and how I can't wait to get through this sermon so that I can go and have some. But let's, let's talk about Lent in this time of year. It's a time of year when we value honest reflection and self-analysis. And as I mentioned yesterday, it's a time when the role and importance of repentance stands in high relief against the backdrop of our lives. And what do we know about our lives? Well, for starters, I know that each and every one of you has a story. You have quirks and certain preferences and all kinds of personal histories. Now, if I put on my night vision goggles, I can also see that each of you has a particular history with God, your own journey, which probably brings to mind a handful of absolutely essential moments that have shaped and impacted you at the deepest level. These are formative undulations in the trajectory of the line of your individual history. And I praise God for each and every one of them that you've thought of just now. Then there's also a certain list or two that most of us carry. It's the list of our failings and significant trespasses and the skeletons in our closets and the like. These are the sins that God, through the grace of absolution and the work of the cross, has forgiven you, whether you believe it or not. Needless to say, we often hold on to the parts of our past that God has long ago put to rest. And it takes people a lifetime to appreciate even an iota of the reach and magnitude of Christ's forgiveness, that God is in the business of giving each and every skeleton a proper burial. So much of the life of faith is experienced as in hindsight, and that's what I'm talking a little bit about. But now let's probe today past the list of your own autobiography, past the list of your own moments that were formative in your spiritual life, past the list of sins forgiven, to the one that's also probably hidden inside of you somewhere. And this is a list that rarely comes to mind during Lent, although it should. This is the list of your strengths, your personal resume. It contains a list of all of your assets, Perhaps it features your looks. I've always thought the Advent was a very attractive parish, and today I see I'm not wrong in thinking so. Or maybe on that list, your parents are featured very prominently. Or maybe it's your children and the things that they are busy accomplishing that reflect well upon you. Maybe your job is at the top of this list, your career achievements. Or perhaps instead, it's your hobbies, 
the things you know about that a lot of people don't know about, your expertise. Maybe it's your connections, the people you've met, or your gifts and various skill sets as far as the Myers-Briggs is concerned. Maybe it's your schooling, some aspect of your pedigree or background or some component of life that in your mind gives you an advantage over other people. You get the idea. Well, this is the list that often gets us into the most trouble of all spiritually. Remember the older brother and the story of the prodigal son just a few weeks ago in church. This is the list that puffs us up at the expense of dismissing most everyone else. It draws lines of differentiation and it smacks of self-justification. An egregious example of this kind of a list made its way into the light of day just a few years ago in 2011 when a young professional named John Fitzgerald Page made headlines after he approached a woman on Match.com. Two of his emails to her were made public by this woman. And here's the report that the girl wrote. She said, so I winked at this guy on Match, meaning I said online that I was interested in possibly having some interaction with this person. She writes, I should have known better, considering his screen name was Ivy League alum. He responds with the following email. I live in a 31-story high-rise condominium right in the middle of the Buckhead Nightlife District. Do you ever come to the area of town to shop, go out, visit, explore? I went to an Ivy League school, the University of Pennsylvania, for my undergraduate degree in economics and my graduate degree in management, Wharton School of Business. Did you go to school? <laughs> what activities do you currently participate in to stay in shape? I work out four times a week at LA Fitness. Do you exercise regularly? I'm six feet tall, 185 pounds. What about you? I'm truly sorry if that sounds rude, impolite, or even downright crass, but I have been deceived before by inaccurate representation, so I prefer someone to be upfront, honest, on initial contact. I do mergers and acquisitions, corporate finance, for the limited brands, Bath and Body Works, Victoria's Secret, etc. Have you enjoyed any of our stores, divisions? Do you have any other recent pictures you care to share? I have many others, if you care to see them. <laughs> Regards, John. So she writes, I in turn sent a polite, no thank you, through the match system, which sends the following email. Thanks for writing to me. But unfortunately, we're just not a good match. Good luck in your search. Our portraits didn't match on A, personality. John then responded with the following email. I think you forget how this works. You hit on me and therefore you have to impress me and pass my criteria and standards, not vice versa. Six pictures of you showing just your head and your inability to answer a simple question lets me know one thing. You are not in shape. <laughs> Next time you meet a guy of my caliber, instead of trying to turn it around, just get to the gym. 
That way you won't blow it with the next 8.9 on hotornot.com. Ivy League grad, Mensa member, can bench squat leg press over 1,200 pounds, has had lunch with the Secretary of Defense, has an MBA from the top school in the country, lives in a Buckhead high-rise, drives a Beamer convertible, has been in 14 major motion pictures, was in Jezebel's best dressed, etc. Oh, that's right. There aren't any more of those. Regards, John. <laughs> if you've been signing any of your emails regards, you might want to stop doing that. Like all of us, though, poor John here is rife with character defects. We could easily list some of the ones that he has probably forgotten to mention. But this example reveals just how, in God's world, a strength can become a weakness. St. Paul encountered his own version of this train of thought throughout the ancient world. He saw it in himself. Remember, they were about to whip him, and he said, are you sure you want to whip a Roman citizen? A Hebrew of Hebrews, trained by Caiaphas, etc.? And he also encountered this type of thinking in one very famous instance. He found the implications of this train of thought playing through in the Galatian church in a way that you probably remember, but it totally set his teeth on edge. And he did not mince words when he wrote to them. Here's one verse from that letter. If anyone thinks he is something... When he is nothing, he deceives himself. His point is that in spite of what we've been told and in spite of what we secretly believe about ourselves from time to time, we all stand before God on the same footing. There is no comparison to be made between you and the person sitting next to you, at least not in God's eyes. In other words, we're talking about true equality, about a place from which we can all utter the same simple, always relevant prayer, which is, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. When the Crown Prince Rudolf of Habsburg died in 1889, his funeral began with a traditional dialogue between a representative of the royal family and the prior of the cloister. The master of the ceremony knocked loudly three times on the massive closed doors of the church. The prior then answered from behind the closed door, Who desires entry? The answer came, Otto of Austria once crown prince of Austria-Hungary, royal prince of Hungary and Bohemia, of Dalmatia, Croatia, Slavonia, Galicia, Ladomeria, and Illyria, grand duke of Tuscany and Krakow, duke of Lorraine, Salzburg, Styria, Carinthia, Carniola, and the Bukowina, Grand Prince of Transylvania, Margave of Moravia, Duke of Upper and Lower Silesia and Medina Firma, Piencia, Gustala, and Oswesheim, and Zator, Teschen, Friul, Dubrovnik, and Zadar, 
princely count of Habsburg and Tyrol, of Kiburg, Gorizia, and Gradisha, prince of Trent and Brixen, Margave of Upper and Lower Lusatia, and Istria, count of Hohenems, Feldkirch, Bregenz, Sonnenberg, lord of Trieste Quarter, and Windic March, grand voivoid of the voivoid ship of Serbia, The prior responded, we do not know him. <laughs> the master of ceremony then knocked again three times. The prior said, who desires entry? The royal representative answered, Dr. Otto von Habsburg, president and honorary president of the Pan-European Union, member of the quondam, president of the European Parliament, honorary doctor of many universities, honorary citizen of many cities in Central Europe, member of numerous venerable acad academies and institutes, recipient of high civil and ecclesiastical honors, awards, and medals, which were given to him in recognition of his decades-long struggle for the freedoms of people, for justice and right. The prior's response again, we do not know him. The master of ceremony again knocks thrice. Who desires entry? This time the response was, Otto, a mortal and sinful man. With this, the doors of the church were flung open with the words from the prior, then let him come in. The Christian faith asserts unabashedly that all human beings stand equal before God. And it is only by his grace that we are saved. We relate to God on account of his mercy and not on account of some system of merit and demerit or reward and punishment. All of it points us to the cross and keeps us from getting wrapped up in details that cause us to judge our neighbors and to try to build ourselves up with false pretense. St. Paul writes in Romans, For God has bound all men over to disobedience that he may have mercy on them all. The forgiveness of God can handle anything. And I'm not talking about all of you, plural. I'm talking about all of you, individually, the work of the Holy Spirit in a human life is all-encompassing, and you stand before God completely exonerated. And thus, he is just as much in the business of using your failings and shortcomings, your points of impasse and personal collapse, to bring about good in the world, as he is with your assets and strengths. All of it is part of his sovereign tapestry. As far as God is concerned, all guilt is off the table. It will not be factored into the equation of your destiny. In this book that I'm so enamored with at the moment called Tattoos on the Heart, we hear the story of a Jesuit priest who has spent the last 30 years, Father Greg Boyle, working with Latino gangsters in the heart of the barrio in Los Angeles. And he tells the story one day of a thug named Scrappy, a gang member who is sitting in his office 
after 20 years of dodging and evading any conversations with this man. Father Boyle recounts, we carry on with small talk until that's run its course. And then Scrappy settles into the core of his being, beyond the bravado of his Chingon status in his gang. I have spent the last 20 years building a reputation for myself, and now I regret that I even have one. And then he cries deeply and hard, rocking back and forth to soothe the release of the great ache. When he comes up for air, Scrappy dabs his eyes and runs his sleeve across his nose, and he finally makes eye contact. Now what do I do? I know how to sell drugs. I know how to gangbang. I know how to shank fools in prison. I don't know how to change the oil in my car. I know how to drive, but I don't know how to park. And I don't know how to wash my clothes except in the sink of a cell. Then Father Boyle tells us, I hire him that day, right then and there, and he begins the work the next morning in our graffiti cleaning crew. Scrappy discovered, as scripture has it, that where he is standing in total collapse is holy ground. He found the narrow gate that leads to life. Scrappy did not knock on the door so that God would notice him. No need for doors at all. Scrappy was already inside. Whether you're Scrappy or Otto, King of Austria, or John Page Fitzgerald, or anywhere in between, we all find ourselves standing before God in the same place. And let's, this Lent, turn it all over. Not just the shortfalls, but the advantages too. Amen.